Good morning, and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. Our mission at Jew in the City started in 2007 to break down stereotypes about religious Jews and offer a humorous, meaningful look into Orthodox Judaism. Uh, since we have been around a number of years, we've definitely broken down stereotypes and introduced non-observant Jews to positive stories, pos positive examples, and even for many people, um, their own journey to a life of observance. But unfortunately, um, when you are the cheerleader for the Orthodox Jewish community, you end up attracting people that had bad experiences and did not see Orthodox Judaism or Jews so positively. Um, and a lot of these bad experiences is what uh, sort of pushed us to start our initiative, Project Makom, which is dealing with members of the from community that have become disenfranchised by bad experiences and abusive um, activities that were sort of um, masqueraded as Judaism. Um, and so we've changed our mission statement now from breaking down stereotypes about religious Jews to uh, reversing negative associations about religious Jews because um, the sad thing that we discovered is that it's not all stereotypes. In some places, it's actually bad behavior that causes people to feel badly about Judaism. Um, and kind of wrapped up into all of this is the idea of Chil Hashem, that when Orthodox Jews behave badly, um, it it's reflects badly on us as a community. It brings us down. Um, it makes those outside of the community uh, think badly about us. Um, and today we have uh, with us Baruch Cohen, who is a Los, An Los Angeles civil litigation attorney, um, who has taken a special interest in sort of creating awareness in the community about the dangers of Chil Hashem and how to avoid the pitfalls. Um, Mr. Cohen, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Good day. So if you could, I guess, just let us know, um, how did you get interested especially in Chil Hashem? Like when, how, why did you decide that you were going to go around speaking about this topic? Well, as you mentioned, I practice law in Los Angeles. I appear in courts, in state and federal, and I wear a yarmulke in doing so. And when you wear a yarmulke in a professional setting, you become acutely aware of how the non-Jewish or perhaps non-observant uh, community perceives your actions. And when you're in court, you see people at their worst. You see people in foreclosure, in evictions, in divorces, in criminal matters, and you see their mettle tested to the umph degree. So when, when we see in court something that people typically don't see on the street, when we see someone with a yarmulke or an Orthodox Jew erring and making a chalashem, we see and we observe the ramifications of those actions far more pronounced than what is perceived on the street or what is perceived on a local headline. And those who are critics of Judaism or have an issue with it never fail to call me and email me and mock the religion when they see a guy with a yarmulke being handcuffed, hauled away by the FBI for, you know, insurance fraud. Mm -hmm. So because I'm in a unique position of being an observant Jew, also an observant lawyer, I'm observing what's going on in the community, I felt it would be incumbent upon me not just simply to complain and wince, you know, and turn the other page, but to share my observations with the community 
to share what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, and perhaps that can reverse the trend. Too many times we see instances of seminars or conventions, and we talk about business ethics and the importance about striving for to be truthful, and that's great. But I think it, the time has come to shift the, the microscope to actually what we're doing wrong and how we're triggering this public Hashem. And I came up with a list of things that go to the core, to the root, that if we perhaps were aware of what we're doing on a, on a, on a subliminal level or on a basic level, perhaps it would prevent us from, from crossing the line and doing something that we would regret seeing on the front page of the New York Times. So when did this begin? Uh, I imagine you've been practicing law for a few years at this point. So when did you kind of get the motivation to say, um, I want to take sort of these ideas swirling around my head and crystallize it into a speech, into, you know, kind of a, a presentation about how we can change our ways? Well, I've been, I've been practicing law since for over 30 years. But it wasn't until I started watching YouTube videos of criminal defense attorney Benjamin Brofman, who championed this very cause, and he totally nailed it, and he isolated the problem, and it wasn't just one speech. He started speaking many times about this issue, and I wanted to basically bring that message to the West Coast and to a larger audience as well. And it was primarily Ben Brofman's videos that I started watching in the last two years that inspired this uh, campaign. And where have you spoken so far? I've spoken before Valley Torah High School. I've spoken at Yeshiva University. I've spoken, I've spoken on the Nachum Siegel Show. And right now I've got four pending speaking engagements all over Southern California, one in Chicago, uh, of people who really want to hear this message, feeling that it resonates within them, and it's a, it's, it could be a life-changing message. So run us through um, some of these points, um, because, you know, I think it's an interesting balance, um, and we, I'll tell you, um, work that we've gone into that we don't really publicize. Um, as an organization, we began first with the headlines, sort of calling out the media, um, being unfair and being hypercritical, which they are, um, and that's not fair how they treat us. Um, and then Project Makom sort of is the next layer of, almost we see it as triage, people that have gotten hurt by the system, the systematic problems of dishonesty, of corruption, of protecting abusers um, that have pushed people outside of, you know, wanting to be in the community. Um, but what we see really as the kind of the, the basic layer, the bottom layer of all this that causes the other two are the problems at their root that if we don't fix sort of the rot at its core, um, then the bad headlines will never stop and people will never, you know, stop getting pushed out. Which is not to say that the media isn't still biased, um, but ultimately we have to, you know, take an honest look at um, who we are and what we're doing. And so we've actually collected um, some different Rebbitsons and rabbis to do some sort of behind-the-scenes advocacy work. So. I mean, I really love this awareness to be brought to the from community because um, I think, you know, again, media is unfair, but we can't give ourselves a free pass either. So, if you could run us through what some of these points look like. Well, let me sh let me just first comment that you know my experience, the feedback that I'm getting from these audiences, 
is that it, it carries a greater punch when the message is delivered by an attorney. Mm-hmm. Um, Rabbi can speak, yes, I've heard these speeches over and over again, and they're great. I'm the biggest supporter of Rabbanim and Rabbis. But mm-hmm. when it comes from the other side of the professional machita, from someone who's in the trenches, it carries a greater punch. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, my presentations start off with the cringe factor. I present headlines from the New York Post, the Daily News, New York Times, of instances of massive chalashems. And after, right. like, the tenth slide, I ask my audience, are you feeling uncomfortable? Are you cringing? And you can see they are. They're very uncomfortable watching it. I say, good, mm-hmm. I'm going to show you another ten slides yeah. to, to basically hammer the message home. To respond to your, your, your opening question, there is a reality that the world does not like Jews. And right. that's a fact. There is such a thing as anti-Semitism. And therefore, we as a Jew, whether you're observant or not, we do not need to encourage more people to dislike us. We don't need to give them additional ammunition. And as I said earlier, when you're an attorney wearing a yarmulke in court, you better be more careful, more courteous, more prudent. You have to act with an extra measure of responsibility. Because, Allison, when we screw up, it gets magnified beyond words. Whether it's sure. fair or so not you in the an media. attorney or doesn't a doctor and a businessman and a, an Uber driver, meaning isn't it any you know, Jew, Orthodox Anyone. Jew interacting with the world? Anyone. You are correct. And unfortunately, I know unethical doctors who engage in fraudulent billing. I know unethical businessmen who engage in fraudulent billing. It's across, it's across the board. And in fact, yeah. you know, the Gemara says that the first question you're asked when you go up to heaven for your heavenly tribunal after you die is, were you honest in business? It's the first question they ask. And I think I saw possibly on your website, although I'm not sure, there was a rabbi in New York who asked a rhetoric question on business ethics, and he said, wouldn't it be wonderful if the world could just rest assured that the deal would be honored because the guy who shook his hand wore a yarmulke? And you know what the reaction in the audience was? They were Mm. laughing. Mm. And why should that be? Why should Mm. that be? Um, And, you know, Rebchaim Velazhin, the famous Rosh Hashiva from pre-World War Europe, had a phenomenal comment that when the Jew doesn't make Kiddush to usher in Shabbos, the Gentiles will make Havdalah, meaning to usher out Shabbos. And that was sort of like a play on words. If the Jew doesn't realize the importance of Kedusha, of holiness, of acting properly like a Jew should, then unfortunately it'll inspire the Gentile world and those who hate us to show us that we're not in their community. They'll make the Havdalah. They'll show you, Jew, you're not welcome in our community. So we have an added obligation to act with Kedusha and Ibnis at all times. And, you know, in court, when I'm asked to go to court and I see the Orthodox Jew arguing with the judge at, let's say, a sentencing hearing, and the accused is arguing that he should be believed because he's Orthodox. And I tell people all the time, the judges don't care. Judges don't care what you wear on your head. They only care that you have integrity and you're telling the truth. And when I hear the rationalizations 
that gets spread within the community, I can see the root of the problem. When mm-hmm. I hear rationalizations, well, well, I can, I can cheat because it's for a good cause. It's for yeshiva. Or I can cheat because it's for a good charity. Or I can right. lie because of whatever good reason. But you know what? Lying is still lying. And even if you have a good excuse or a good intention, I'm sorry, it's still breaking the law. And even if it's for a mitzvah, it's still a lie. Or another so rationalization. Here's the thing. I was, I mean, it happens to be that I, I do find, um, and I know that not all Orthodox communities are the same, but I really have been blessed to be in such beautiful, honest, thriving from communities throughout my firm life. Um, and I know from the headlines that that's not the case, you know, in every place, in every instance. Um, but we were moral people before we became from my family. Um, and when I discovered some people that were, you know, not operating on the up and up and not so yashar, it was terribly disappointing because it was kind of like, what's the point? So where do you think um, this stems from? Like, shouldn't we, shouldn't this be the basis of um, being a from Jew to be an Ehrlich Yid? Like, how, like... Do you have any thoughts on sort of where this corrupt thinking um, came in? Because it's it's so troubling. I do. I do. I feel that the root, and by the way, I was raised in New York, in Far Rockaway, in Queens, made Aliyah of the five towns in Lawrence. And mm-hmm. I was raised a modern Orthodox kids, but I went to ortho, very, very Orthodox summer camps. And mm-hmm. I was in the company of kids from yeshivas in, in, in Brooklyn, who justified cheating on the regents because it would take them away from their studying of Torah. And mm-hmm. I found that to be a culture conflict like you, and it was a turn-off. Mm-hmm. And I realized at an early stage that I needed to reconcile what I'm seeing to maintain clarity of my vision. And mm-hmm. what I started seeing in terms of the root was this dehumanizing of the other. We're so insulated in our own little schnitt or in our little group I don't eat from your kashras, you don't eat from my kashras. You know, I'm talking about the, the clansmanship that goes on. Or, for example, we're so isolated that the only people we interact with are people within our sect, so we tend to de- dehumanize the other side. We have a sense of superiority or maybe even info, info, in, I forgot the right word, but superiority, where, they, mm-hmm. where it's okay to lie because they have it coming to them somehow, or they're not Jewish, therefore they're less than human, and we forget the Rambam says, Gam Haim Karuyam Adam. Even, even those who are not Jewish are people, and you can't cheat from them. So I, mm-hmm. I speak about the elitist views that we need to really banish from our society, because if we realize that the person that we might be tempted to cheat is one of us, not one of them, that right. breaks down a huge barrier. And the rationalizations go out the window. Another mm-hmm. rationalization is the notion that I can play smorgasbord with the rules. Well, right. you know, uh, I'm going to keep this, but I'm not going to keep that. And somehow the rationalizations seep in. Another, another and I won't call it a rationalization, but we as a community, we operate under certain myths that generate a certain protocol and a certain way of thinking that lends itself to cheating and being dishonest. I'll give you an example. The myth of shortcuts. Mm-hmm. We live in a community, no matter where you live, tri-state, L.A., anywhere, 
where people boast about how they didn't go through the traditional uh, academic rigors. You know, he learned in Kolel and then took the LSATs and became a lawyer. Now he, he did a shortcut. Or this mm-hmm. guy did a deal and he's making millions. You know, I right. tell people and all the law clerks who I mentor, all the people I represent, there's a concept called Kvitsa Saderach, you know, in the Torah, where God hastened the process. There is mm-hmm. no Kvitsa Saderach when it comes to success. There is no express elevator to the penthouse suite of success. It is a myth. But when we promote that vision and we right. idolize the people who beat the system and now look at them and they mock people like me who busted his chops to work hard, right. then we're sending the message that the way to go is the shortcut. Cut corners. Can I just interject for a second? I think what you're speaking to, um, and not to point too many fingers, but I think that is more of a symptom of the more insular communities. Now, I think in the more modern communities, you'll find people that are less careful about kashras, less careful about sneas, less careful about davening. And so that's not to say that more modern is perfect, because I think they have their shortcomings as well. Um, but I think that sort of this beating the system, doing it quickly, you know, kind of focusing on your learning and kind of having a, you know, a a little bit of a scam even, to finagle your way through. I think this comes from a little more of like in the Haredi world. I'm saying, it. would you agree? Well, uh, I must say yes, because I am in that world. Um, I am firmly entrenched in that world. So it's the world that I see more visibly than anything else. Many of the modern Orthodox professionals that I know, some don't wear yarmulkes, so you can't even necessarily tell that they're right. observant in the, in the business world. But when you see a Hasidic right. Jew in business, yeah. it's unmis- unmistakable. And, yeah. you know, Allison, there is no community that has a monopoly on fraud. Um, I, I reject the notion that it's more prevalent in one versus the other because a careful review of headlines and the court's docket shows that fraud is fraud is fraud, and it's found in every sector. So, okay, uh, maybe, so fine. Maybe, maybe, so, maybe. Yes, there are dishonest people in every sector, but don't you think that more in the look? And again, I'm not saying that the modern tax community is perfect because I just you know listed a bunch of you know iniquities and I think shortcomings that you find far more often there. But I do think that sort of the shtetl mentality of like they treated us unfairly in Europe, and so we had to you know sort of finagle our way around. I think that because sort of the memory of the shtetl sort of is closer in the minds or the memories of people that live more insular lives. I think that that's what gives them sort of the permission to do this. Again, anyone can fall short in terms of being a human being and get tempted by greed. But the question is, do you use Jewish sources to justify it? And that's what I think. Now, maybe modern Orthodox are not using Jewish sources in general because they're more modern and they're, you know, not holding in general. But do you know what I'm saying? Like, I sort of see the justification of dishonesty um, through Jewish sources more prevalent in in the more right-wing circles. I understand your point, and what I see primarily in the more insular uh, shtetl world is this notion that the United States government is the enemy. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not in war-torn Europe where our grandfathers and grandmothers had to lie, cheat, and steal to get a passport and a loaf of bread to survive. We're living in a malchus shel chesed, in an equitable government, yeah. And the holdover, you know, the second-generation survivors who have this fundamental distrust of anything government, anything secular, promotes this type of thinking. Another myth, by the way, 
Another myth that I try to shatter is the myth of perfection. And mm-hmm. it's not necessarily a, a Jewish myth, but of the people who I've mentored and the people who I've, you know, represented. I keep hearing this mishagast, this, we'll call it an immaturity, that if I can't give it my best, why bother? Mm-hmm. Again, it's sort of related to the myth of shortcuts. But I tell people all the time, you know, I graduated from Queens College, got a perfectly great education. It wasn't Harvard or Yale. You know, it's okay to be B plus, A minus. You don't, when people operate with the pressure that it's either A plus or nothing, they'll also tempt their Yetzirah and their, their evil inclination to want to take that shortcut to compromise their values because that A-plus is the tell-all, know-all of the, of the outcome of what they're achieving for. And that's mm-hmm. also a poisonous route. It sends mm-hmm. people to the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. So I think those, those, two, those two myths, if they can be shattered, they can melt a lot of uh, misconceptions that people have about making a living, parnasa, and the, you know, we can perhaps normalize and prevent some of the philoshems. So what's, is there like a, is this just sort of like a um, sort of speak at school, but, you know, one school after another, or one institution after another? Do you have sort of a bigger plan about, because I've actually been contacted by people from, there was one guy from the Hasidic community that felt like he really wanted to do some sort of campaign um, to create awareness about even things like holding open doors, which um, I think just culturally is not, for some reason it's not done. Um, or even like body, bodily space or that sort of thing, pushing, shoving, like there's just sort of different cultural norms when you, when you get into more insular communities that are less Americanized. And he, or, you know, articles have been written about like garbage being left during like Cholomoid in different places where Jews, you know, kind of picnic, that sort of a thing. So um, is the idea maybe to start a campaign kind of from within the, the community to create awareness to, you know, I don't know, like what are your thoughts here? Well, I'm a very busy lawyer, and my law practice keeps me busy day and night. I really don't have the time for a campaign. I started this humble little project as a speaking engagement. It's been very well received, but I will tell you, there is some, and I sense some pushback in certain segments of the community. You know, you go to some of these conventions, and you see the topics that are chosen Mm -hmm. as MCLE credits or whatever topics, like questions that have real no moral relevance that really don't shape or change our lives. And that seems to be like the the boring, you know, uh, place where or foothold where people tend to go to these conventions, gun control and halakha. All -hmm. right, that's really fascinating. I'm really going to spend a couple hours on that one, really going to change my life. Right. The shit of crisis. Okay, I get it. It's important. Yeah, but, you know, it's, it's been tried and retried and rehashed a thousand times over. You know, this is a message that people have resistance to want to hear because mm-hmm. it requires that you open up the, the, uh, the microscope into your own soul mm-hmm. and ask yourself, what am I doing? Am I living up to these standards, you know? Mm-hmm. And there's, there's pushback. So, mm-hmm. you know, and the, re- and the reaction that I'm getting from every one of these speeches from the adult guests that attend is, Baruch Cohn, you need to take this message, and adults need to hear it. More adults need to hear it, not just necessarily the students on yeah. the student level, but it's so critical. So you know, I'm, I'm not eager to take on a new campaign. I'm quite mm-hmm. busy, but I've posted 
um, these uh, rules for the American Orthodox Jew on my Facebook wall. Anyone is welcome to look at it and take it. And, you know, it's been disseminated and shared hundreds and hundreds of times from my Facebook record. And, uh, you know, these are rules that go to the core essence of who we are. And I, and I make this pledge. You follow these, these rules. You will not come to sin. You won't be, a chil, you won't be doing a chil Hashem. And these rules are, are fundamental. And it should be stressed more and more and more. Not just the rule of be honest or be righteous or tzedek tzedek tirdov, generic stuff. Mm-hmm. We're talking about stuff from the trenches that really go to the heart. To the core. Of Does what anyone we're doing. say to you, "Hey, we're fine. It's the media. It's the anti-Semites that give us a hard time." You know, kind of like, kind of stop making a big deal about this, or are people, by and large, very receptive? But I'm going to say, beyond by and large, I will say there's like a 98% receptive rate. Mm-hmm. The argument that hey, they're treating us unfairly falls on deaf ears mm-hmm. because. Really, if, the, if there's a Hasidic slumlord, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. He, you know the caption of the New York Post is "Who didn't want to kill him?" Right. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, really, I don't think the media is treating this situation any worse than it would anyone else. I mean, because here's a guy wearing the shkreimel, and it's a huge halachah, and the culture comp, the visual of seeing from guys from Lakewood being arrested. Right. Um, construction fraud, you know, uh, insurance fraud. Um, and, and by the way, the Chil Hashems are not just the major headlines. They're subtle stuff. You mentioned rudeness, you know. Um, you mentioned, uh, you know, disregard of people's property. There's a, there's, a, there's a lake in Muncie that has signs, don't feed the duck, don't feed the geese. And sure enough, Tashlech, right after, you know, on Rosh Hashanah, you have hundreds and hundreds of Hasidic Yidin feeding the geese. Now the owner put up a sign in Yiddish to tell right. everybody. Yeah. Or, for example, double parking in Borough Park or Flatbush. You know, I, years ago I already made the decision I'm never driving into Flatbush or Borough Park or in Lawrence and Central on an Arab Shabbos or an Arab Yanta because I even saw triple parking. And to me, what do, what do the traffic cops or the non-Jewish people think when we move into a community and we act like this, or when we don't open the door for a pregnant woman pushing a double stroller. Right. Yeah. So it's the subtle things of Derek Harris that we, we need to see how we are being perceived. Sitting in an airplane, you, want to, you see an elderly person needs to use the bathroom, but there's a minion in the, in the aisle, right. and that person cannot use the bathroom. What is that person thinking Right. At that moment. Yeah. Being an observer means think what they are thinking. How are they perceiving us? And it's the subtle things that can change. Or how about nosiness? Right. Someone asked me, uh, Baruch, uh, how much did you pay for your home in Hancock Park, Los Angeles? I said, really? Is it, tell, explain to me how it's your business. His response right. was, I'm just, ask, I'm just asking. Well, you know. Yeah. This way of talking, this way of being nosy and intrusive into other people's affairs violates their autonomy, violates their personal space, but yet it shall should us talk. You know, this is the way we have trained ourselves to speak, where it's okay, everyone's business is open game. You know, it's a, it's a subdivision of Chil Hashem. Right. It shouldn't be the case. 
So where can people go if they want to book you to speak? What what kind of uh, you know action step can they take now if they'd like to bring you um, and your anti um speech to uh, a community or, or school or school near them? Well, I'm uh, very visible on Facebook. I'm a very profound uh, poster of pro-Israel uh, posts. So look up Baruch Kohn on Facebook. My email is bcc, Baruch Chaim Kohn, initials bcc, 4929 at gmail.com. And that's where somebody can reach me. Excellent. Well, I mean, trying to uh, minimize Chil Hashem and increase Kiddush Hashem is really what we do all day long here at You in the City. So whenever we hear about someone else who's doing their own thing, um, we really do thank you because um, we are also so troubled by uh, these these issues as well. So um, you should have continued Hatzlacha in your work. Thank you. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't say I'm a huge fan of Jew in the City. Oh, thank you so much. And thank you for listening. You can catch us same time, same place next week.